Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, Raider Nation? Matt Holder here from Silver and Black Pride. It's Friday. You ain't got no job. You ain't got shit to do. Well, you probably have a job and you probably have stuff to do. But it is Friday, and I'm back with another pod. I'm going to change things up a little bit on you guys. We're still going to be going over the news and the injury report, but I'm going to add a mailbag segment at the end of the pod every week. Now, I posted this week's request for questions on Twitter, and I realize not everyone who listens is on Twitter or follows me on Twitter, so I set up an email address for all you non-tweeting folks to send questions to, and that email is sppquestions at gmail.com. Again, that's sppquestions at gmail.com. And with that, on to the news! For the second week in a row, Raider was named as an AFC Player of the Week, and this week, kicker Daniel Carlson earned the honors. Carlson was 4-for-4 on field goals with a 45-yarder to slam the door shut on Pittsburgh and made both of his extra points to account for 14 points in the game. This marks the third time in Carlson's career that he's won the award. However, he was playing himself in fantasy football this week and played a major role in his own loss. And I don't know about you guys, but AFC Player of the Week only lasts for a week. But fantasy football championships live forever, so the jury's still out if he ended up on the right side of things. HBO Real Sports released an interview with Raiders owner Mark Davis and Andrea Kramer. It looks like Kramer dives into Davis's upbringing and his relationship with his father, Al, as Mark talks about how his dad fired him at one point when he was a 14-year-old ball boy. The trailer for the interview also showed Mark Davis talking about how Al treated him just like any other employee or Raider and expected him to produce and do his job. They also touch on Davis's growth as a known over the last few years and the move to Vegas. And Kramer and HBO do a great job of peeling back the curtain on the Raiders owner, so make sure to check it out if you haven't already. Per ESPN's Field Yates, the Raiders converted $4.2 million of Corey Littleton's base salary into a signing bonus this week. That creates $3.4 million of cap space for the Silver and Black, and it's the second time Littleton has restructured his contract this offseason. According to OverTheCap.com, The Raiders are just under $5 million in cap space, sitting at about $4.48 million, the 15th most in the league. On Monday, the Raiders cut veteran quarterback Nevin Lawson after his two-game suspension was officially up. The move came as no surprise, seeing as Nate Hobbs had taken over as a starting slot corner spot, which was Lawson's role last year, but the team had hoped Lawson's would turn into the practice squad. However, he signed a one-year deal with the Jacksonville Jaguars the day later, so his time with the silver and black has come to an end. Look, I know I made my jokes about Lawson on Twitter, as I'm sure you saw if you followed me, but I do think this is a loss for the Raiders. They're pretty young in the secondary and could use a veteran presence, but at the same time, I completely understand not wanting to get rid of guys like Amy Robinson or Damon Arnett, so losing Lawson was almost inevitable. Keyson Nixon will be coming back soon too, so at least some help slash experience is on the way. With a bunch of injuries up front, the Raiders have been looking for some new offensive linemen, and that continued this week as the team side offensive tackle Jackson Barton off of the New York Giants practice squad. Barton was a 7th round pick of the Indianapolis Colts from the University of Utah back in 2019 and spent some time on their practice squad. He was later added to the Kansas City Chiefs practice squad that season and spent 2020 with the Giants and obviously spent the beginning of 2021 with the G-Men before heading to Las Vegas. Barton has yet to see any regular season action in his young career, and in a corresponding move, the Raiders cut Markel Lee, who was active off the practice squad before last week's game. Lee could return to the practice squad, but that is yet to be announced as of Thursday night. 
All right, on to the injury report. As I imagine everyone saw, Derek Carr went down with an ankle injury in the game on Sunday. He would get it taped up and came back in the game, but did land on the injury report this week. The good news is he was a full participant in practice, and all signs are pointing to him suiting up against Miami. Richie Incognito still hasn't practiced, and to be honest, this is starting to feel a lot like last year's injury. The Raiders haven't put him on IR yet, and it seems to be another lingering lower leg injury that's not getting any better. If Incognito is out again this week, which it seems like he will be, then the team has basically raced a roster spot on him over the last three weeks since with the COVID roster rules, players can return from IR after three weeks. Again, expect John Simpson and Jermaine Illuminara to start at guard this Sunday. Fullback Alec Ingold was also on the injury report with the same fibula injury that as last week, but Ingold still played in the game and was a full participant in practice all week. Unfortunately, the same can't be said for his running mate, Josh Jacobs. Jacobs didn't practice with an ankle injury and reportedly tried to go on Thursday, but exited after warm-ups and didn't return to the field, so it looks like he'll be out again. Expect Gruden and offense to lean on the combination of Peyton Barber and Kenyon Drake. Quentin Jefferson has a knee injury but was a full participant, and Jonathan Abram didn't land on the injury report until Thursday, but was also a full participant with an Achilles. A concussion held linebacker Nick Wachowski out of the game against the Steelers, and he was limited in practice all week, while safety Dallin Levitt is also concussed and hasn't practiced. I expect Levitt to be out, and rookie Tyree Gillespie might be in for some more playing time against the Dolphins. Alex Leatherwood exited Pittsburgh at a halftime with a back injury, and Gruden called him questionable for the game on Sunday earlier this week. However, Leatherwood was listed as a full participant on Wednesday and Thursday, so it looks like he'll play. If not, Brandon Wolf Parker will step in in his place. Defensive ends Carl Nassib and Yannick Ngakwe were both listed as limited on Wednesday with pectoral and toe injuries for Nassib and the same hamstring injury for Ngakwe that bothered him last week. Ngakwe was a full go on Thursday and I'd expect both to suit up on Sunday. To wrap things up, Roderick Tebow remains out with the same ankle injury that has kept him out of the action the last two weeks and defensive tackle Darius Phylon was limited with a knee injury. Tebow likely won't play but I expect Phylon to. Mailbag time! Reminder, you can either tweet your questions at me during the week at mholder95, or email sbpquestions1 at gmail.com to submit your questions. I had a few people ask me about Cleveland Farrell, so start with those. First question, please talk about Cleese play during the Steelers game. I saw someone say he did well, but I don't recall seeing anything from him. That's not to say he was bad. To be honest with you, I'm kind of in the same boat, with, boat as you. You could tell me Cleveland Farrell didn't play on Sunday, and I probably would have believed you. I went back and looked it up on PFF just to kind of see what he had done because unfortunately with uh, Game Pass not getting on their shit, I don't have access to all 22 film. I know Marcus and BD have their own, but unfortunately they have their own source and whatnot and it's not theirs to give out. So I am handcuffed at the moment and can't give you a whole lot of news on on how he did film-wise and whatnot. But what I can say is when I looked him up on PFF, he had no tackles, no pressures, and a slightly below average grade for the game. So that basically means he was out there, you know, getting his cardio in. Now, of course, having the film would be great to know if he was able to just, you know, destroy blocks and it just didn't lead to any production. But what I can tell you is if that were the happening, that would have been reflected in his PFF grade, even if it didn't lead to any stats. So kind of a nothing game for Cleveland. Still not lost on him, but it is getting to the point where he at least needs to be on the field and then being on the field producing if he's going to live up to his draft status, which unfortunately at this time doesn't seem like he will. Next Cleveland question. In the past, I've seen teams limit players from action when they plan to trade. Cleveland, what's your best guess? Well, the problem is the Raiders have basically destroyed all of their negotiation leverage by not playing him. Obviously, he wasn't even active for week one. So if you're an opposing GM and Mike Mayock's trying to trade him to you, that's going to be the first question you ask. Well, 
why aren't you playing him then? If you're going to tell me this guy's good, why isn't he playing? So I don't know how much the Raiders are going to be able to get back for him. And I wouldn't be surprised if your your comment or your your observation has some weight to it where maybe they are trying to trade him. But again, they don't have a whole lot of leverage right now. If they're not going to play him. And of course, you can say, well, yeah, but they have Yannick Ngakwe. But guess what? He was still or Cleveland was still inactive. And the same question would be, well, why did you need to sign Yannick if this guy is any good? And unfortunately, right now, I think the Raiders probably at best could probably maybe get a fifth for Cleveland Farrell. And honestly, that's probably a little high. If they could get something like a third or a fourth, I think they pull the trigger on it. Um, obviously, that way you have Malcolm Koontz to kind of bring in if you're not really going to use Farrell anyway. And at least Koontz can get some reps and start to get used to the NFL. But right now, I would be a little surprised if the Raiders end up trading Cleveland Farrell during the season, but I definitely think he can get traded in the offseason, and maybe that's kind of where they're holding him back a little bit, is they don't want to ruin his value anymore. What is the over-under on Richie Incognito playing this year? If they don't bring him back, thoughts on adding him as an O-line coach? Well, like I was kind of talking about at the jump, the Raiders haven't really released a whole lot of information when it comes to Richie Incognito's injuries, so... Tough to really say. I did talk about how I think it is starting to feel like last year's injury where he might miss the whole season. Though I'm still optimistic that he will play. I'd probably put it at about 75% chance that he will play this year um, at some point. When exactly that is, your guess is as good as mine at this point. Again, they're not really giving us much. We don't even really know the severity of the injury or what's going on. I'm hoping he can come back out there, but... At this point, it just kind of feels like a big game of chicken where every week we're going to sit here and uh, try and figure out if Richie's going to play. And, you know, at least he's got to get on the practice field. And if he does come back, he's got to get back in football shape after, what, almost a month and a half off now. So as far as bringing him back as an O-line coach, I don't know Richie to be a great, you know, scheme guy or whatnot. I don't, don't know if that's, you know, particularly true or not. Obviously, as a captain, so maybe that's, you know, does add some value to him to bring him back in to keeping him around at least in the locker room um, the problem is obviously Richie comes with a lot of baggage and that's typically not what you want on your coaching staff but then again so did Tom Cable so who knows I don't know if they'd bring him back as a coach kind of hard to answer just not knowing how smart Richie Incognito is or how much of an X and O's guy he really is I should say but it's definitely not out of the realm of possibilities and I mean at this point he might come back as a coach before he comes back as a player when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Nixon, White, and Morrow are expected to be acted off IR. Who's getting cut slash waived for them or not? And then when Morrow is healthy, do we expect him to take over for Denzel, Corey, or KJ? I'll start with Nixon. Yeah, when Keyson comes back, I do think there is a chance that they might actually cut him and then try and bring him back on the practice squad, kind of like what they tried to do with Nevin Lawson. But if I had to pick anybody on the roster, or if I had to pick two guys on the roster, I think the obvious ones are one going to be Amy Robinson. And then Damon Arnett is not off the hook in the situation either. 
you know, with Damon Arnett, obviously we saw him get burnt in Pittsburgh last year or last week, and then you know had the the boneheaded not the boneheaded rookie mistake as a second year player of not touching somebody down. And I talked about it on an article, but it's one of those things when you're on a limited pitch count or you're on limited reps, and you do go out there, you got to make them count, and you can't make boneheaded mistakes like he did. And especially when you're in the the doghouse already with the coaching staff. Plus. Casey Hayward is playing really well, so I wouldn't be surprised if they're going to try and extend him, which obviously makes them in our Nets role a little bit less. No, maybe they try and trade him in the offseason instead and want to keep him around for those purposes, but I don't think Damon Arnett's off the hook, and I mean, we could be in for a surprise, but it'll probably come down to Amik Robertson and Keyson Nixon, and then Keyson Nixon didn't do a whole lot in the preseason. As a matter of fact, I think he got hurt in the preseason, so it's hard to say without being at practice every day who is you know, outperforming who is between him and Robertson. Um, but yeah, that I don't think it will come down to. Yeah, and I would not be surprised to see Nixon as the one who ends up getting cut. I'm not sure exactly if he can clear waivers already or whatnot, but the other, it's the other thing to consider with uh, cutting either Robertson or Damon Arnett is either one of those guys would have to go through waivers and obviously another team could pick them up. As for Javen White and Nicholas, Nicholas Morrow, yeah, I mean, the linebacker situation is going to be interesting because... You have guys like Denzel and KJ Wright, who I think are firmly starting and firmly on the roster. Then there's Corey Littleton. Then there's Nick Wikowski and Divine Diablo. And I definitely think Diablo is the worst player out of that bunch. But you also have to remember he was a third round pick this year. They already cut Tanner Muse earlier this year and, you know, basically punted on last year's third round pick. That was a safety convert to linebacker. So if you're going to cut Diablo, well, again, he's going to be subject to waivers. Who knows where if he gets picked up? Who knows if he even wants to come back on the practice squad? Because that'd be a little bit of an ego ego blow to get cut by the team that drafted you just a few months uh, just a few months later. So I'd imagine they'd want to keep him around, which obviously leaves Nick Wikowski and Corey Littleton. Nick Wikowski, like talked about this during the roster cuts and thought he might end up being on the chopping block. Obviously, I was wrong on that part. But with Nick Wikowski, he had injuries in training camp, was injured last year. He has an injury this year, missed last week, and we all know Gruden's patience for injuries. And I mean, his spot's been kind of taken by Denzel Perryman, so he might end up being expendable on the roster, and I would not be surprised to see him be a surprise cut as far as Corey Littleton goes. Um, you know, I think he'll be fine. I think he'll stay on the roster. You know, I know some people have pointed out that he's been doing better in coverage and whatnot. Um, you know, I can tell you he hasn't been grading out wise, PFF wise, and I've noticed a few plays where he doesn't really seem to be making plays on the ball when he is getting targeted. You know, there are plenty of reps where he's, you know, able to cover up receivers and whatnot or tight ends and running backs and whatnot. But when he is getting targeted, he's not making enough plays on the ball. And that's happened a little too frequently as long as, as well as the missed tackles. So I definitely think Littleton is at least in for a reduced role. You talk about when Nicholas Morrow comes back and I think Nick Morrow might end up replacing him. Probably not at first. Again, Morrow's probably going to have to get back in shape and whatnot, and I'm sure they're going to want to ease him back into the rotation, but I definitely think he can take Littleton's spot if things don't change with Littleton, especially with those missed tackles, because those are becoming a problem once again. Impressions of Abram, Littleton, Merrigan, Hobbs. I think Abram's had a really good year so far, or at least a much improved year. I've actually been presently surprised with how he's played. He's playing a lot more linebacker, playing more in the box, which I think is a much better role for him, better suits his skill set. So I've liked what I've seen from him. You know, obviously he still has his lapses. He still has his mental mistakes, overruns plays a little bit, and will have his missed tackles. And that's probably just something that you're going to have to live with with him because 
he is going to be able to go make those big hits and, you know, draw the ball loose like he did against on Monday Night Football against the Ravens on Mark Andrews. So I think you're going to have to live with that as far as, you know, him living up to his status as a first round pick. Probably once again, you know, similar to Cleveland, but a little bit better, you know, in that he's actually on the field and playing and starting. But I mean, you're not exactly looking for a box safety in the first round. But I have thought Jonathan Abram has played a lot better. And I think him playing a little bit more linebacker and playing closer to the line of scrimmage has suited him well. As for Corey Littleton, I kind of touched on it already. And, you know, it's funny. Coverage is a lot like pass blocking in for offensive linemen, right? If offensive linemen, they can have 50 pass blocks in the game. But if they lose two and those two turn to sacks, that's a bad game because those are true drive killers. It's kind of the same way with coverage and, you know, any sort of defender, whether it be a cornerback or a linebacker. You can do everything right for 45 out of 50 plays. But if those five plays go for completions, that's an issue. And I think that's what's happening with Corey Littleton right now is there are the flashes. There are the things he's doing well in coverage. But they're also he also seems to be getting exposed and a little bit in man coverage and you know giving up the shorter routes and then when you can't tackle and you give up those shorter routes, that's an issue because that leads to bigger gains. As for Trevon Merrick, he's definitely been quiet this year. You know I noticed someone else commented on. I left this out of the question, but you know, kind of the same thing where if a guy defensive back is quiet, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I know he did miss a few tackles against Pittsburgh this past week, but that's kind of as to be expected. I think the biggest thing for him, for me, is I've kind of talked about it a lot, but I would like to see him be able to take on a more versatile role, which comes with memorizing the or knowing the playbook and whatnot. And that's obviously hard to do as a rookie in a new system. So I think we got to be a little patient to really see his impact. I mean, I think he definitely is doing a good job. Again, if you're not getting your name called as a safety, that means you're not really giving up any passes. So that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, I think he's kind of had a pedestrian start to the year. Hopefully he starts to get a little bit more comfortable. And he did start to play a little bit more of a versatile role that I was talking about against Pittsburgh. Against the Ravens, I think all of his snaps came as a free safety. And there was a little bit more of a mix, but still more of a free safety against Pittsburgh. So hopefully he starts to get to play a, a few different more spots as we move on down the year. And as for Nate Hobbs, I mean, he definitely hasn't been, you know, the storyline like he was in the preseason, but that's kind of as to be expected, right? He's still a fifth-round rookie now playing with a bunch of superstar, superstars or guys that are playing really well like Derek Carr, Max, Max Crosby. Hobbs isn't going to get the headlines and whatnot. But I have thought Hobbs has played pretty well. I think he's played kind of as expected. He was never really a guy that gave up a whole lot of – or was a guy that forced a whole lot of compete, completions. And like I was just talking about with Corey Littleton – that's fine if you're going to play that coverage that way, if you can tackle, which Hobbs is doing, and Hobbs is really doing a great job of limiting yards after the catch, coming in and wrapping up against on guys, and that's what we saw from him at Illinois. That was his biggest strength by far in college, so I definitely think we're getting kind of what you know the Raiders thought they were at first when they drafted him, a guy that's physical and tough and can come up and make, play, make plays and make tackles, and I mean, if you're getting a starter out of, as a rookie out of a fifth rounder, you're doing a great job. And I'm excited to see how he progresses throughout the year and moving forward because, I mean, as we know, the slot corner position has been a, been a big problem for the Raiders for the last few years. What's the difference between Gunther's and Bradley's defensive line philosophies and which is more successful in the NFL? Well, with Gunther, his whole thing was he was just going to be a run-first defensive coordinator, right? That's why they made certain decisions, what they did with the personnel, and it was always kind of a run-first defense and then a very complicated on the back end in the coverage-wise. That can work in the like 2000 version of the NFL when teams are running the ball or trying to run the ball 35 times a game. Whereas Goss Bradley is a pass first defensive coordinator and his kind of philosophy with 
defensive line is to let those guys just kind of get up the field and then kind of let the linebackers come up and clean up on the run and let the defensive linemen react to the run. Whereas, whereas, uh, excuse me, Paul Gunther was the opposite. He wanted a defensive lineman to play the run first, you know, fit your gap first and then react to the pass. Whereas Bradley is just kind of letting those guys loose and then letting the linebackers just clean up any scraps that uh, might come apart. And, you know, Bradley is willing to give up three yards of carry and, you know, get dink and dunked all the way down the field. Whereas Paul Gunther tried to constrict anything and just you have to have a very good defensive personnel for that system to work because if you're going to try and leave guys out on islands or if you're going to try and do a lot of complicated schemes, you got to have smart, really good players on the back end and the Raiders just didn't have that. With Gus Bradley, the defensive line can kind of just get up the field so they don't really need to blitz and they can leave more guys in the back end of the defense. They can drop seven or even eight. Typically, they're going to drop seven and have four guys rush. And I think that's really what's helped Max Crosby unlock his potential because Max Crosby was an athletic dude at Eastern Michigan and he had a really good get off. And now that he can kind of not have to worry or worry about the run secondarily instead of primarily, then he can kind of just get up the field. And then when it is a pass, he doesn't have to turn it up. He's already going. And kind of the same thing with Yannick Ngakwe is, you know, Yannick Ngakwe, he's always been a guy that's a really good pass rusher, but struggled against the run. And that's part of the reason he's a, he's a pass first player. He wants to get up the field and he wants to penetrate, you know, whereas with Paul Gunther, they wanted to hold up at the line of scrimmage. And again, you know, just kind of fill your gaps and then make sure they're constricting the running game. As far as which is more successful in the NFL, I mean, we're seeing a pretty good example right now. Defense has been terrible the last few years, and they're, I think they're doing pretty well this year. I mean, they're creating turnovers and whatnot and limiting teams on limiting teams uh, as far as points go on the field. I don't know what the yardage difference looks like from this year to last year. Uh, it might be closer than we think, but that's kind of how Bradley's system has gone. That's something that I like a little bit more. I think in today's NFL, you have to take away the pass first and then play, and take away the run. My philosophy about stopping the run is the best way to stop the run is to play with a lead, right? If you get a two touchdown lead, regardless of what your, your opponent's uh, you know strategy is, it could be the Titans with Derrick Henry. If they get down by two touchdowns and their two possessions in the in the second half or in the fourth quarter, they're going to have to throw the ball. You're going to have to get them. You're going to get them out of what they do best, and eventually that's how you're going to stop the run. You're going to stop the run by preventing them from running in the first place. And the other thing is with the Raiders' offense being explosive and scoring points. If your defense is predicated on stopping the run, well, okay, now when your offense gets a lead, now what's the, the opponent going to do? They're going to start passing the ball, and you're not built to stop that. So that's, I think, what kind of part of, part of what led to the, some of the comebacks that the Raiders gave up over the last few years is they weren't built to stop the pass, but they ended up having to stop the pass because they were playing for a lead. So that's the biggest difference for me. And again, I, I much prefer Bradley's system in today's version of the NFL that just has so much or is so predicated on the passing game. I'm wondering why they didn't bring up Ragas from the practice squad to help fill in while Jacobs was out. You and me both, pal. <laughs> I mean, I think the writing was on the wall when Trey Ragas didn't end up making the team. And then I think it was like a few days later that they plucked Peyton Barber off of Washington's practice squad. Peyton Barber, I mean, he's a veteran. We all know how much Gruden likes his veterans. He doesn't really trust rookies, especially undrafted ones. So I think that's where it comes from. You know, I think probably a little bit of blocking. Gruden, again, you know, he's going to trust a little bit more experienced guy as a pass blocker. Kenyon Drake's not a great pass blocker, so that's going to be a big factor. I didn't think Trey Ragas was bad in pass pro. Can't say I paid a whole lot of attention to that in the preseason. 
but I never felt like there was a, really an issue. So maybe there's something going on in practice. Maybe he was struggling at that and is still working on that. And that's Rudin's biggest thing. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, we are talking about a third running back here and that's kind of what you're going to be able to, you're going to be where you're going to impact the team most, you know, Ragus might be the better running back overall and might have the better future than, than uh Peyton Barber. But if, Peyton Barber can do the little things better that the team needs right now. I think that's why he's getting the nod. Um, you know, I think at some point Ragus will probably make his way up to the roster. Hopefully if his pass blocking, you know, improves in practice and whatnot, then maybe they'll give him a shot this year. I definitely think they'll, he'll be in the mix next year and probably can be, be a guy that they can count on as a number two, or as a number three, um, in the year moving forward. But yeah, I mean, I definitely was uh, surprised by that too. I thought Ragus would have been the guy after the preseason when they signed Peyton Barber, it kind of made sense that they would, they rolled with him instead of Ragus um, last week. And that's what they're going to do this week. So I think it's kind of a, we got to be a little bit patient with Ragus and, uh, you know, realize that it was the preseason that what he, he was dominating in. And I have to check that, tape that and check too. So we'll, uh, Continue to monitor it, but yeah, I think right now it's the biggest thing is blocking and then just Gruden's affinity toward veteran players. I think we can, we can chalk that up to probably a lot of things at this point. All right, that wraps things up for the week. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, follow Silver and Black Pride on social media and follow me on Twitter at mholder95. Until next time, guys.